You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for exalting so many idols above Christ. Christ is supreme. That he is first above all. He is before all things. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for so frequently putting things before Christ, putting things ahead of Christ, and treating others as more supreme or more important than Christ and his glory. Lord, return our hearts to you, to your magnificence, to your majesty, to your glory. For you created all things, and through you all things existed and were created. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. Lord God, teach us today how we would be a people that walk by faith and exalt you, not depending on ourselves. Teach us this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open your Bible together with me to Galatians chapter 3. Today we're going to consider Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 to 9 and the second part of our sermon on the excellent way of faith. I don't know how much um, live performances you've seen, but there's a certain performance act that I've found that I can enjoy, yet every single performer always uses the exact same tactic. If you've ever seen an illusionist perform a trick, all of them use something called misdirection. Good illusionists practice for hours and hours and hours trying to convince your eyes of something that can't actually be. No illusionists can actually bend the laws of physics. They have to act within them. So they practice to, with one hand, distract your attention, misdirect, and with the other hand, manipulate the trick. And all of a sudden, something's happened that seemingly cannot happen. And the entertainment of illusionists is getting caught up in the mystery and being okay with being fooled by it. Without even knowing it, The Christians in the church in Galatia were fooled. They were tricked. They were deceived theologically. They were directed away from the truth and towards a lie. And they thought that everything was fine. They thought that they could continue to please God by the works of the law when the truth was they could only be justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not just the Galatians, but us too, we can be deceived about the truth of Christianity without even knowing it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But today we're going to see that we can trick ourselves or allow ourselves to be tricked by others to think that we're still faithfully following Jesus when we're actually so far removed from a faithful walk with Christ. In Galatians 2, 15 to 21, Paul 
proves to the Galatians that justification, being made right before God, is by faith alone apart from works. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 9, Paul then looks into their personal experience. And he uncovers their foolishness in order to reveal the truth about walking by faith. So knowing that this is what the passage is about, let's stand together and honor God as we read his word. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 9. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Please be seated. Paul then, Paul uncovers the foolishness of the Galatians in order to reveal the truth of faith. How does he do this? How does Paul uncover their foolishness and reveal the truth? Well, he asks asks six critical questions. These critical questions are about their conversion experience and their walk with Christ before they were deceived. Paul's not asking questions because he's ignorant or because he's uninformed, or because he's confused. He's asking rhetorical questions. He knows the answer to the questions, and he knows that the Galatians have been deceived and think they know the answer, but don't know the answer. So Paul asks these questions not because he's looking for an answer, but because he's emphasizing a point that they become blind to. And his first question kind of just shows that And Paul's just perplexed. Look at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? All right, Paul's not saying that the people who deceived the Galatians were like using like black magic to like put them in a trance. No. No, the people who deceived the Gentile Galatians, the non-Jewish people in this church, were other believing Jews. And they, were, uh, he, they deceived their Gentile brothers. The Jews deceived the non-Jewish Gentiles by teaching them that if they were really going to follow Jesus, yes, believe in Jesus, but, but mm, you got to follow the works of the law as well. They were self-righteous gatekeepers. If Paul said it as a statement instead of a, a question, Paul might have said it like this. Galatians, like, this is so foolish. It's so foolish that it's almost easier to believe that you've been put under a magical trance 
than it is to believe, to believe that you actually listened to these people. But they did. The next five questions that Paul asks about their conversion experience and their walk with Christ before they were tricked, I think they can all really be summarized by this one question. Galatians, have you really forgotten the gospel itself? That's a good question for us to ask of ourselves. Have you been living in such a way that you've really forgotten the gospel itself? There's five questions that follow. I've grouped them into four because they have similar themes. Here's the first one in that Paul then asks, Galatians, have you really forgotten the significance of the cross? Verse one continues, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul wasn't saying that the Galatians were there on that day in Jerusalem at Mount Golgotha visibly seeing Jesus of Nazareth crucified onto a plank of wood by the Roman people. No, they were in Galatia when, when that happened. So, so what's Paul referring to? It was before your eyes. Paul's referring to the way that they were moved by the significance of the cross when they heard Paul preach the message of the cross. Paul preached it in such a way that it, he vividly portrayed the gospel. He vividly portrayed the cross. And they heard it and were so moved by it that it was like they were there. Who amongst us was actually there when the planes crashed into, into New York? Who amongst us was actually there on the grassy knoll where JFK was assassinated? Who amongst us was actually there when the Berlin Wall was turned, torn down? Who amongst us was actually there when Princess Diana was struck by another car and died? Probably none of us. But I remember as a young boy watching adults mourning over the death of Diana as if they were actually there and saw it when it happened because they knew the significance of this. The Galatians weren't there, but when they first heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel in the same way that any preacher would want anyone to respond to the gospel. They were so moved by it that it was like they were there because they recognized how significant it was that they couldn't make the way to God and they were sinners, but Jesus died for their sins so that they could be reunited. They, they knew it. But Paul was saying, you've abandoned faith and are going to the works of the law? Have you forgotten how the significant the cross is? Here's the second question he asks. Galatians, have you, have you really forgotten how to walk by the Spirit? This is where I group two questions into one, verse two and three. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What do you think? Tell me. You, you can say it out loud. What do you think? How, how, how do we receive the Spirit? Tell me. Do we receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
By hearing with faith. Okay, well then tell me, if, we, if we've begun by the Spirit, if we've begun our Christian life by divine power, tell me, do we continue in our Christian life by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's with faith. Paul knew the answer to this question. We know the answer to this question. But the Galatians were living in such a way that shows that they were blinded. It's like thinking they could generate the vitality and energy for living the Christian life in the same way like a person thinking that they've been given a plane ticket can now just as easily swim across the ocean to their destination. No. No, you came into the life by the Spirit. You continue in your Christian life by the Spirit. You bought a plane ticket because you know you can only fly across the ocean. You get on the plane and you don't swim because you know that's the only way to get across the ocean. It seems simple, but they were so deceived. Here's the fourth question, excuse me, third question Paul asks in verse four. Let's read it, verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Galatians, have you really forgotten why you suffered? You might be going through a trial right now in your life, as I've gone through trials in my life. Trials and the experience of suffering in trials are some of the most exhausting and painful things that Christians can go through, especially when it's being tried on account of you standing firm for Jesus. And it might feel so painful in the moment and like you want to just like get out of it, but did you know God has a purpose for you in your trials? Did you know God has meaning for the suffering that you go through? The purpose and the meaning that God has for your trials is, has the same effect like when a goldsmith puts gold pulled and mined from the ground through the crucible of fire. There's impurities in there. And the only way to get the impurities out is to burn it. But once it's melted and then poured out and recast, it's pure. But how foolish would it be after that gold has been purified for the goldsmith to then smash it up again and immediately go and mix it with the impurities? Paul turns to the Galatians and said, you, you suffered on account of your faith. And God had a purpose and meaning for that. And it refined your faith. But now you've abandoned faith and you're trying to, to continue by the works of the law? You're making... All of those sufferings that God had a purpose for, you're making them count for nothing. Are you so foolish? Here's the next question. Galatians, have you really forgotten how God shows us his power? Look at verse 5. Look at the, uh, the scriptures with me. Verse 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the work of the law, or by hearing with faith. Paul has another reference to the Holy Spirit here. The first reference to the Holy Spirit is inquiring what the Galatians considered about how they related to God. This question about the Holy Spirit in verse 5 is inquiring about what they think about how God 
relates to them. How does God show us his power? How does God work miracles amongst us? Hearing of the law, or excuse me, works of the law, or hearing with faith? We don't believe that God is passively sitting back in heaven, allowing human history to run its own course. That's called deism, and it's not Christianity. God reveals himself in scripture as the supreme being who is actively involved in human history, guiding it to his chosen and preordained destination that will glorify him the most. We don't believe that God's activity in human history is regulated by our activity. God reveals himself in scripture as the supreme and sovereign being who acts according to his own good pleasure, his own will, apart from our will. Well then, if God is supreme and he's sovereign, how does, then, how does God choose to relate to us? Thankfully, we believe that the supreme and sovereign being is also gracious and loving and kind and personable and wants to dwell with us and wants to show his power to us. Thankfully, the way that he shows his power to us isn't determined based on our works. Because if God showed his power to us based on our works, we wouldn't receive his love, we wouldn't receive his grace, we wouldn't receive his mercy, we would receive his wrath. He's gracious and kind and willingly poured his wrath out on Christ so that we might be objects of his love, objects who receive his power who are transformed by him. How, okay, how then do we receive that? How do we receive God's power? How does God move mountains? Through faith. Isn't that what Jesus told us? And this is what faith is. In its simplest form. Hearing the word. Trusting it's true waiting for God to act. This is faith. Hearing the word, trusting it's true, waiting for God to act. But the Galatians convinced themselves that their work could regulate God's power. Like a vending machine, I put in the coin, I press the button, the candy falls down. I follow the law, God's going to show me his power. I follow the law, God's going to show me his grace. So if you feel like you're waiting and waiting for God to work, but it feels like the candy's just hanging there and it won't drop, and it's like, why won't it drop? Won't? Are you living by faith? Or are you continuing by works? Paul was perplexed. How, how could they think that they could, how could they forget the significance of the cross? How could they forget our walk by the Spirit? How could they forget the reason why they suffered? How could they forget how God shows us? How, how could they really forget the gospel itself? And this is really the principle behind Paul's critical questions. If you depend on works, you're disconnected from God. If you depend on works, you're disconnected from God and cannot receive the blessing that God wants for you. Like a branch that's not connected to the vine cannot hope to produce any fruit. 
like, uh, like a phone disconnected from data, disconnected from Wi-Fi, can't watch any kitty cat videos on YouTube. If, isn't that the only reason we use phones anymore, right? Like an infant disconnected from its mother's milk will only slowly die. If we depend on our works, we're disconnected from God. And we cannot receive the blessing that he has for us by faith. See, the Galatians, they substituted faith for works. They substituted faith and depended on works. And they were deceived. There are ways which I believe us in our church and the North American Western church is deceived thinking they're walking in pure faith, but they've actually deluded true faith. I don't think predominantly in our church, in North American church culture, our problem is substituting uh, faith for works. I think our problem is deluding the truth and not having real faith. Like a patient who was given 200 milliliters or given, excuse me, medicine from a doctor and the doctor says, drink 200 milliliters a day. It's the only thing that can heal you. It's going to taste nasty, but it's the only thing. 200 milliliters, you need it all. And the patient takes 200 milliliters like, ah, that is nasty. You know what? Maybe I'll just take 50 milliliters a day and fill up the rest of the 150 milliliters with Kool-Aid. It's like, oh, that tastes good. But then weeks later, the patient goes back to the doctor and is like, I'm not getting better. You gave me this, but I'm not getting better. Show me the bottle. Are you actually taking it? Look, look, yes, I'm taking it. But it doesn't look like you're taking the prescribed amount. But I'm still taking it. How much are you taking? Just, just a bit with, with Kool-Aid? What are the ways that we are diluting our faith in North American culture? What are the ways that we are diluting the truth to think we're walking by faith? I thought of three in particular. And I have to be careful because I know my deceitful heart. And I can be subject to these two. We can delude the truth about the sufficiency of scripture and no longer be walking by faith. I'm so thankful the message Pastor Paul preached two weeks ago about mindfulness meditation because it is so rampant in our schools and our cultures and it is sugar pill for cancer. The only thing that we have to have peace, to live a life of happiness and joy, the only thing we have for life and godliness is what God has given us in his word it tells, it says about itself that it is all we need for life in godliness. I see a culture starved for peace and starved for joy, and it sells us these miracle cures self help books, mindfulness meditation, new age wellness, horoscopes, palm readers, fortune telling. It's sugar pills for cancer. And Christians think that, oh, I, I, this is good and I don't need scripture. Many Christians think, I, I'll have scripture, but I'll have a little bit of this too. And they delude the truth and wonder why they still feel sick. Are we so foolish? 
There's another th- deception that I see in the church. Watch out that you're not diluting the truth about holiness. The Lord has told his church, be holy as I am holy. Do you believe you're part of the church? Do you know what church means? When Jesus called his people the church, the word that he used to describe the church means a people who are called out. Jesus, when Jesus called you, he called you out of this world to bask in the light of the glory of God and then go back into the dark world and shine the light of Christ. Yet so many Christians cringe when they hear the preacher talk about sin, yet do not cringe when the unbeliever invites them to join into sin. And they think they can still live a blessed life walking in the darkness, though God has called them out of it. It's foolish. It dilutes our faith. Then this, watch out that you're not diluting the truth about church membership. This is a serious concern that we have for our church. Watch out that you're not diluting the truth about church membership. If you participate at church with the same amount of involvement that you participate in Cineplex, your faith is diluted. Because at Cineplex, from the parking lot to the foyer to the, uh, to the food vendor to my seat in the theater, everything revolves around my experience. And I expect as soon as I get into the parking lot, it's all going to revolve around me. And I only need to participate as much as it values me. That's not what church is. And you might not think that that's how you think, but do you have any meaningful relationships at this church? How can you say you love Christ if you do not love other Christians? the most meaningful relationship that we can have with Christ happens when we have meaningful relationships with other Christians. God forbid that we would treat the beloved bride of Christ like Cineplex. But we see it in our church. If we depend on works, we're disconnected from God. If we dilute our faith, we're disconnected from God. How can we be connected to him then? How can we be connected to him? It's not by works. Don't dilute the truth. Faith is the mark that we're connected to him and blessed in him. Faith is the mark that we're connected to him and blessed in him. Faith is the mark that we're connected to him and blessed in him. Not the diluted truth, the pure truth. Not depending on works, walking in faith. Are you walking by faith or are you depending on your works? Are you walking by faith or is the truth of Christianity diluted in you? We pray that we would see God's blessing in this church. And you know what? For the 12 young years that we've been a church, God has been blessing us. 
God has grown our church, not merely numerically, but in depth. We are seeing the lost saved, the saved matured, matured believers multiplied. We are seeing more grace extend to more people and more people worshiping God who are worshiping idols. And we are seeing more glory to God. This is what the church is about. And God is working here. Don't be deceived. Moreover, I would say, we must walk by faith. Yes, 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 yes. But, and I need to preach this to myself, Jason, are you letting your faith translate into prayer? Prayer is one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. But to say we believe, but not sit at God's feet and ask and intercede that he would do it, but to merely expect that if I press the button, the candy's coming down? No. Is this why the prayer meeting is the least attended service that we host at our church? We have one tonight. Will you be there? God will be waiting to hear your voice tomorrow morning. Will you call to him? If we depend on works or dilute the truth, we're disconnected from God. Faith is the mark that we're connected to him. Faith is the mark we're connected to him. Are you connected into Christ? Are you living by the blessing of faith, hearing the word, trusting it's true, waiting to act? That is faith. Now, if we go back into the text, after Paul asks these critical questions, then he encourages them. And I need some encouragement right now. Maybe you do too. He encourages them to show them what their true identity is. Who they really are. Let's look at the text, verse 6. Verse 6 to verse 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then it is those who are of faith that are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul was encouraging them with their true identity. Gentiles, Gentile Galatians, you, you may not have been born into the family of Abraham, but because you believed in Jesus, you share in the blessing that God promised to Abraham. And you share in it by faith. By faith, you're a son of Abraham. Why is this significance? What, why does being called a, a child of Abraham matter? Well, for the Jewish believers and Jews in general, being called a child of Abraham was like a, like a point of pride. It was like, as Daniel Meyer and I were talking about this passage this past week, he said, it was like Jews believed they had won the genetic lottery, right? That because of the nature of being of the line of Abraham, it's just like, we have the special privilege with God and we're so better than you. But remember how John the Baptist told the Pharisee Jews, like, listen, you didn't win the genetic lottery. God can make children of Abraham from the rocks if he wanted they boasted in this identity, being children of Abraham, yet this identity was something special and was something meaningful. 
And it was likely that the self-righteous Jewish gatekeepers used this identity, this privileged position, as their misdirection towards the Gentiles. You really want to be the people of God? You really want to be a son of Abraham? Yeah, believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow the works of the law. But that's not the case. I find in my own life so often when I'm not living by faith, when I'm living in a way that dilutes the truth or when I'm depending on my works, I find that I live that way because I forget who I am. I forget that by faith in Jesus, I've been invited into Abraham's family. I forget that by believing in Jesus, I've been called the child of God. And I forget who I am, so I forget how I live. But it should be instinctive to us. If you've believed in Jesus, then you are a child of Abraham and blessed with Abraham. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. Don't forget who you are. If you forget who you are, you'll forget how you should live. But it should be instinctive. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I live by faith. I know who I am. I know how I live. It should be instinctive. So yesterday morning, or yesterday afternoon, I in, um, in jest, I saw a friend, and it was a little chilly yesterday, and I said, oh, happy fall, and I said it in jest, because technically it's still summer, but then this morning I woke up and wept, stepped outside and was like, oh my goodness, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it was freezing. Winter's coming. When winter comes, animals need to prepare for winter, but the different species aren't worried about what they need to do to prepare for winter when the new season comes. Oh man, I know I migrated last year to the south, but like, I think it's coming earlier this year. Maybe, maybe I should burrow into the hole and get into the ground. Mm, But I don't know. He's deciding to migrate. Should I hibernate? Should I migrate? Animals aren't worrying about that. Am I a bear? Gonna hibernate. Am I a geese, a goose? Please migrate as soon as possible. (laughs) When you know who you are, you'll know how to live. It is by faith that we are welcomed into the blessing of Abraham. It is by faith that we are called children of God. Well, what is the blessing? What is the blessing that you have if you believed in Jesus? You see, this special blessing that Abraham had was because God made a special promise to Abraham. A special promise called a covenant. And that covenant, that special promise that God gave to Abraham was that his name would be great, that his family would become as, as big as a multitude, as, as great as a nation, a great name, a huge nation of a family, and that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. And this promise of blessing that God made to Abraham is more like one chapter in a larger story of God blessing humanity. See, when God created the world in the beginning, he made man and woman both equally in his own image. And he turned to them and and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You see, the Lord has always wanted human beings to prosper in the paradise he created. He wanted them to prosper in the paradise he created by following the good way that he designed them to live. But very quickly... Human beings decided they didn't want to follow God's good way. They wanted to follow their own way. And as a result of that sin, 
humans were removed from the blessing and suffered a curse. And we still suffer that same curse of sin today. Yet, immediately after being cursed by God, righteously and justly, God made a promise to again bless them, to bring them back into the blessing and reunite them with him and remove the curse. And that story, which started in Genesis, chapter has gone by, chapter has gone by, chapter has gone by, human history has been bending and was bent towards the climax of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is on that mount where Jesus, he destroyed sin and removed the curse by becoming our curse when he died on that tree. Jesus suffered the curse of sin in our place for our sins so that you could be saved from the curse of sin and receive the blessing of God in eternal life in the kingdom. See, God isn't trying to bring us back to the paradise of the garden. The garden was great, but God's got something better. He's got a city, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom. When Jesus returns, he will establish the new paradise, the new Jerusalem. The kingdom will reign forever where there will be no sin, no death, no mourning, no crying, because the former things will have passed away, and you will live, because you believed in Jesus, in paradise forever. This is the blessing of Abraham. But beautifully, it is not only a future thing, it is not only a future hope, it is a present reality. The blessing of Abraham is not only a future hope, but a present reality. How do we experience it? By faith. Look at verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. And oh, what a pleasure it is to enjoy the blessing of God, to walk by faith and enjoy the blessing of the Holy Spirit. See, we live in a world that is trying to build its own kingdom upon the foundation of its own sin. We want peace, we want joy, we want happiness, but I've never seen a people so starved for all of those. See, it's when we walk by the Holy Spirit that we walk and experience love in a selfish culture. It is by the blessing of the Holy Spirit that we have joy in a discontented culture. It is by the Holy Spirit that we have peace and patience in a busy and anxious culture. Goodness and kindness and gentleness in a abusive culture, faithfulness in a faithless and flaky culture, self-control in a hedonistic culture. Are you living like this? Is your life characterized by this blessing? If you've believed in Jesus, it is there for you, but not by the works of the law, not by diluting the truth. The mark is faith. Faith is the mark that we're connected to him and blessed in him. Sin still stings us and clings close to us. And we don't sometimes live in that blessed life. But even when we feel that sting of sin, we should have hope of the future kingdom where sin will be eradicated. Faith is the mark that we are connected to him and blessed in him. Faith is the mark that we are connected to him and blessed in him. Are you living by faith? Are you walking by the spirit?
Certainly, certainly wouldn't all of us want to live a blessed life? Then how could we deceive ourselves to dilute the truth about the sufficiency of Scripture? How could we deceive ourselves to dilute the truth about church membership? To dilute the truth about holiness? You might think that you're going to get joy from going to sugar pill self-help. You might think that you're going to get joy from being a lone wolf Christian. You might think that you're going to get joy by walking in the darkness with the world, but vanity, vanity, all is vanity. This is how we live the blessed life in Christ. Remember who you are and you'll remember how to live. In Christ, you're a son of Abraham. In Christ, you're a child of God. We receive this blessing by faith. Let us be a people who walk by faith. Hear the word. Trust it's true. Wait on God to act. And we will see the Lord show us more of his power and we will enjoy more of his blessing. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promise that Jesus gave that he will be with us always. Father, I admit that frequently I try to live by myself. I functionally think like it all depends on me. And I don't stop like a helpless child and say, Father, help me. I don't stop and turn to the Spirit and say, guide me. I don't turn to Christ and say, lead me, good shepherd. Father, forgive me. Too often I depend on works. Father, forgive me. Too often I dilute the truth. And I think that entertainment can give me the joy that only the Holy Spirit can. That sin can give me the joy that only walking in obedience to your good way can. But Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit was given so that we might be convicted of our sin, convicted of our unrighteousness, and so that we would turn towards you and that we would put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Oh Lord God, let us walk by faith. Lord, let us walk by faith. Let us walk by faith, hearing your word, trusting it's true, waiting for you to act. Thank you, Lord God. Show us your power, please. Show us your glory, please. Show us that the world cannot satisfy us in the way that only you, the living water, can. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of faith. Guide us in these things in Jesus' name. Amen.